Hey y'all, it's Crystal. And it's Samantha. And this is Serial Holic Sisters. True crime shit. Hey girl, hey. Hi. <laughs> been a minute. It's been a minute. It has. And I feel like every single time it's my turn, we have some sort of technical difficulty. It happens a lot, though. <laughs> it does. It does. I swear, technology hates me. This time it wasn't your fault, though. <laughs> no, my computer completely crashed. My livelihood is gone up in flames. <laughs> it, just, it just exploded on your desk. It's gone. So now I'm recording off of an iPad and an iPhone because my computer is shot and I have not gotten a new one yet. We actually tried recording a couple days ago and it it did not work. No. <laughs> we tried to record and I tried to do it from my iPad and read my notes from my phone because I sent them to myself and they were it was so small I kept losing my place. And so I decided I'm gonna print off my notes. And now I have them in very large font because I'm 80 years old. There you go. (laughs) I'm 80 years old with cataracts. (laughs) If y'all hear paper shuffling, that's why. Because she's got old-fashioned notes. (laughs) It's going to be great. It's going to be great. So I heard the very, very beginning of this case, but not much at all when we tried recording before. And I was very confused. I'm going to warn you guys, there's a lot of people involved in this. There is, but I've made it to where it's not as confusing. Okay, good, 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 good. I separated the people. (laughs) So I, I've got my giant cup of coffee the size of my head, and I am ready to hear this case. Okay, well then let's just get right into it. Alrighty then. This case is famously known as the Rainer Kids case, and I'll explain why so um susan gallagher we're gonna start with her okay susan gallagher was born in a small town in pennsylvania to her two parents william and jane gallagher so jane was a school teacher and her father who worked at a newspaper business was a manager there but at a very young age susan decided that she was going to follow in her mother's footsteps and become a teacher okay which kudos to her because I don't think I could ever watch a class full of 20 children all at once. No, thank you. <laughs> it takes a special kind of person to be a teacher. So just say sure. for sure. Well, she attended the Grove City College to get her degree in English. And it was there that she ended up meeting her soon to be husband, Kenneth Raynard. So Ken was enlisted in the Air Force at the time. What year is this so I can set the scene in my head? Because in my head, I was just thinking it's like modern day because I'm ridiculous. Right. <laughs> so I am going to get there. I was going to say, Susan would quickly get her bachelor's and then follow on to get her master's where she ended up graduating in 1966. So our time frame's in the 60s. Okay. So before getting her master's, Susan and Ken did get married. So they got married in 1965. And because Ken worked for the military... They had to move around to different stations all around the country, and it kind of got a little bit overwhelming, I think, for Susan making all the moves because she couldn't start her career that she went to college for. Yeah, I get that. So they ended up deciding they were going to settle down for good in a small town in Philadelphia in 1971. So Ken decided it was time to settle down, stop moving to keep stability. Because during the many times that they did move, Susan and Ken had two children. So they were very young when they finally settled down 
in Philadelphia. Okay. She gave birth to her daughter named Karen. And then a year after Karen was Michael. So they were really young. Karen was 11 and Michael was 10 at the time of um, Susan's disappearance that we'll get to. Oh, okay. So um, because the two had really only ever known how to be apart more so than together due to Ken's military background, like they had, you know, a rough few years ahead of them after they settled down. They just weren't clicking. Right. Which, I mean, you see it happen a lot. If a married couple is so used to being separate and alone, then... I mean, they kind of live that lifestyle for so long that when right. they decide to actually have like a type of marriage where they're together all the time, then you can see that happen. Yeah. So. Uh, they're like better separate than apart. They're like, okay, I love mm-hmm. you so much. And then together they're like, oh my God, pick up your goddamn clothes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> Although I'm like that word together all the time. I know. I know. Same. <laughs> um. <laughs> Well, Susan was finally able to to set off to do her career as a school teacher. Right. So in 1971, when they did settle down, she started teaching at Upper Marion High School as an English teacher. She was super adored by her staff members and students. Um, She really, like, showed her love for teaching while being there. Nobody had any negative things to say about Susan. And in 1974... Just three short years later, Susan and Ken would separate. And they decided that maybe they needed some time and some space away from each other. Right. They were fully divorced in 1976. They did try to make it work for the kids. But during the separation phase, Susan did move to Ardmore in Pennsylvania. So it was just outside of Philadelphia where Ken would reside And during this time, they had split custody of the kids. Okay. Susan kept them most of the time, but Ken would have them like every other weekend and on holidays. And, and Susan said, that's just how she wanted it because her livelihood was for children. Okay. So one of Susan's biggest outlets during her separated time was um, an organization that was called Parents Without Partners. So it was like a support group for divorced and single parents. And she did this to kind of provide like a better structured life for her kids. That makes sense. And I think that's really cool that there was like an organization that helped parents that were newly single. Right. And didn't really yeah. know how to be single. Right. Um, but they had, they had like little um, side get together things for the kids there too so oh, like she cool. would go to these support groups bring her children and her children would have like these fun almost play dates with the single parent kids right that's cool um, which is really cool so we're gonna go ahead and start with uh june 22nd okay so june 22nd 1979 michael susan's son had been with his father most of the day So Ken worked at a bank as a personnel officer and they had just started like a father-son softball game together that day when Susan would have to go and pick them up. So Susan went and picked up Michael from Ken's and that evening at around 8.30 at night, Michael would call Ken and say he was really sorry for having to leave the game early. 
that same evening, Susan made a call to her former in-laws, which is not weird for her because they were all still really close. Even though her and Ken didn't work out, they still had a very civil relationship. Right, right. So she asked them if she had enough gas to get to Allentown and back just to see if she would like have to stop for gas. Because during that time, the U.S. was actually going through a gas crisis. Oh, how about that? <laughs> I know. Which we know a thing or two about that. I, uh, I looked it up and was like, oh, wow. So, like, I guess gas was really, really high then, too, which it's not compared to now, obviously. But Right, but it was uh, for the time. It was really high there, and there was, like, gas shortages and stuff. And a teacher's salary then was, was still, you know, not a lot of money, just right. like it is now. Sure, was it even less then. Kind of yeah, having to, having to stop for gas was kind of a big deal. Mm. Sorry. So she asked, I had to take a drink of my coffee. <laughs> I was like, long pause. <laughs> you just took the drink out of nowhere. Like you finish your sentence and then all of a sudden just the, the glass was up. And then I was I panicked. I was like, should I vamp? Should I like do something while she's... <laughs> I, I was parched. So she was asking if she had enough gas to get to Allentown because she was actually scheduled to give a speech on June 23rd, the very next day, for the Parents Without Partners organization. And it was like 50 miles from where she lived. And she was taking her kids to this, you know, event with her because Mm -hmm. she wanted to turn like the whole event into like a weekend getaway. Okay. You hear my paper? (laughs) (laughs) Page one. (laughs) On June 22nd, 1979, it was just past nine in the evening and Susan and her two kids, Karen, who was 11, and Michael, who was 10, would all leave home in her loaded up orange Plymouth Horizon hatchback. When I say orange, I mean it was like bright orange. (laughs) It was orange, orange. So... She was part of that organization called, you know, Parents Without Partners. And the neighbor of Susan had actually noted that they they heard her leaving because her car had like a very distinct sound when it started. Oh, mine does that when it's time to change the oil. When it's time to change my oil, it makes like a really bad, bad sound. I'm like, oh, I should probably do that now. <laughs> so when it's time to change, it's funny you say that when it's time to change my oil, when I'm driving down the road, I can hear it almost like a, a faint, like clicking sound which is awful yeah but I've had it checked out and they're like oh yeah it's just low on oil I'm like okay (laughs) (laughs) can can you put some of that in there (laughs) yeah anyways when I hear distinct sound when I when when I'm picturing it I can only imagine that it's probably like a a pretty loud startup sound or maybe it has trouble starting Mm -hmm. but anyways her and her children load up in the car and pull out of the drive So by the time the neighbor went and looked out the window, they were already out of the drive. Unfortunately, Susan never gives her speech the next day. And her two kids disappear into thin air. What? So, okay, you said that Susan would disappear. No, no. Her kids disappear. I thought that Susan disappears, not the kids. Oh, my God. That was a shock for me. I'm sorry. And three days go by without any sign of them. What? Okay, wait, where is she? How do they just disappear? Right. I am confusion. In this in this very bright orange car. So it is it is kind of weird. And well, not kind of. It is weird. It's very uh, weird. Yes. 
But, you know, three days go by and they're not back from the weekend trip. So it kind of strikes some concern, especially for like people that were at the parents with that partners, you know. So she never and showed up at the, that convention. She never showed up event. to give her speech. Okay. No. But only the kids are missing at this point. I guess everybody's well, thinking they're all missing, right? They're all missing, but right. we'll nobody's seen them. Okay. So by the fourth day, a man that was cutting through the parking lot of the Host Inn Hotel, which is five miles outside of Harrisburg, 87 miles away from the Host Inn where she was supposed to give her speech, mm-hmm. and almost 100 miles away from home. Okay. The man saw an abandoned orange Plymouth hatchback with his hatch open. Okay. He found odd. He's like, okay, well, I'm going to go look and check this out because he's nosy. (laughs) Well, because the hatch is open and nobody's around. No, I know. I just had to say that. He wasn't (laughs) nosy. It was good that he stopped and checked it out because when he looked inside, he would see a dead female in the trunk. (gasps) Oh, no. Her body was naked and she had on chains. What? She also appeared to be brutally beaten. Now, the man actually didn't even know she was dead. When he called it in, according to dispatch, he stated he found a woman in the back of a vehicle in the trunk and she looked sick. She looked sick? Yep. I think he was just in shock. Yeah, I get that. I get that. But like naked, chained, and beaten looks sick. (laughs) Well, I mean, he, I'm glad he called it in though. Oh yeah, for (laughs) sure. For sure. He was in shock. What? Well, I know you're going to tell me, but I'm like, is this Susan? Because when you said that the kids went missing, but she didn't, I thought, oh no, what did she do with the kids? Like, this doesn't make sense. It's so out of character for her. Did she like, was she mad at, at Ken and trying to get back at him and did something with the kids? But no, this is, this is, this is awful. It is awful. Okay. Police made their way to the crime scene at around 530 that morning and obviously saw she was not sick. She was dead. Right. And so now it was time to try to identify her. So autopsy had determined that she had been dead for close to an entire day and just kind of placed into the trunk. But here's the crazy thing. Susan was actually already a missing person at this point because so many people were concerned she didn't. Right. So it wasn't long before police were able to determine that this was in fact Susan. Right. They had been missing for four days. And this she'd was only the been- fourth day. Yep. And she'd only been dead for about a day at that point? A day. Oh yep. my God. So what happened in all that time? So once police were provided the identity of Susan, the hunt for her two kids was now on. Yeah. So the state trooper that worked the scene actually said that they were hoping that the kids were like at a friend's house and this was just like a really bad situation. But after digging into it and, you know, contacting all of all of the parents that were close with Susan and even the people at these the parents without partners facility mm-hmm. like all those kids nobody had seen the kids hmm. so autopsy confirmed that Susan's death was due to strangulation or suffocation and I'll get to why I say ors we'll we'll dig into a little bit more okay I was like, well, um, they didn't differentiate that? What? And I'll tell you why. Yeah. Okay. She wasn't sexually assaulted and the cuts and bruises all over her body show that she was beaten 
And she was also placed in the wheel well of her car. The wheel well? What, what, is, what is that? So, you know, when you have a vehicle where, like, you have a trunk and you lift it up and there's a wheel well that, le- that oh, has your... Yeah, the hidden extra that has spare your tire. Extra tire. Okay, I didn't know that w- that had a name. Yes, <laughs> it has the name. Okay. <laughs> it's not just spare tire storage. It's, it's the spare tire <laughs> hole. I learned today. I'm growing as a person. Good God. so the reason that they stated possible suffocation was because she had tape placed over her mouth before death and it could have been when she was stuck in this you know small space Mm -hmm. that she was actually more deprived of her oxygen so she could have suffocated from having the tape on okay so they don't know if if she suffocated because she couldn't breathe or if because she did have bruising here if she was just strangled to death it was still hard to tell they hadn't done an autopsy yet no that was the autopsy that's what they stated in the autopsy they couldn't confirm if it was strangulation or suffocation it didn't it didn't like I guess it didn't which to me I feel like if you're strangled then your esophagus is crushed I say there's a little part in your I can't remember what the what the the name of it but there's a little part that gets like crushed or broken Broke, yeah broken. when you get strangled so I didn't know if yeah. that was intact or not I I don't know I'm just reading what the autopsy stated okay. <laughs> like did they finish it or no <laughs> it's 1979 they're like there's a bruise on her neck so I don't know <laughs> <laughs> she was in her car for 24 hours before her body was found they did determine that So it was a few months later when test results from her blood and tissue samples would come back and it showed that she actually had a lethal dose of morphine before she died. Oh my. So that could have killed her too? Oh yes, because there was enough to kill her 10 times over is what they stated. So Uh I believe that they probably tried to strangle her and couldn't do it. So it Instead, they just dosed her with morphine and she was still alive and put tape over her mouth. That, I mean, that's a good theory. That makes sense. Well, they also, underneath her body, would find a blue comb that had an Army Reserve unit on it. A comb? Like to brush hair? Like a brush, yeah. Okay. Like a small Army comb. Okay. So let's get into some of the things that I found out about Susan during the investigation. So for several years, Susan was having an affair with a co-worker. Well, his name was William Bradfield. He went by Bill. So we'll call him Bill. Bill Bill did it. (laughs) Well, they were both English teachers. So the affair actually, affair, the the affair, (laughs) the affair started the same year that Susan and Ken had separated, which then in turn led to the divorce because she wouldn't stop seeing Bill. So yes, she was still technically trying to make things work with her husband for the kids, but she wouldn't stop seeing Bill and (sighs) her husband found out about it. I don't think that's trying to make things work if you're banging someone else, but okay. (laughs) But here's the kicker. I'm not even done. So she was open to see Bill, but Bill wanted to keep their relationship a secret red flag (laughs) wait so okay she's all like i'm separated trying to make it work but let's have this affair and i don't care if everybody knows about it and he's all like let's not tell anybody about it yeah okay yeah he said he wanted this because they both worked at the school and 
you know, teachers technically weren't supposed to be like seeing each other then. Right. But Bill was known to be like a huge womanizer too. Mm. So he was actually seeing another woman at the school named Susan as well. And when I think about that, all I can say is at least he wouldn't get the name wrong. (laughs) (laughs) That's ridiculous. Okay. Yeah. So that's why he wanted to keep it secret because he had another Susan girlfriend. Oh, but we'll get into more about Bill too. Bill had been seeing this other Sue for like a decade. Oh, shit. In fact, at one time when old Sue, like decade Sue, found out. Oh, that's not nice to call her old Sue. Well, I just mean like, (laughs) I didn't know how to differentiate them. So I'm sitting here like, there's Sue and Susan. I guess I can just call her Sue. Yeah, call her Sue. (laughs) Like, so 80-year-old Sue. (laughs) I was like, that's not nice. At one time when Sue found out Susan Uh was also seeing Bill, she kicked her in the shin in the teacher's lounge. Oh, shit. And told her she needed to stay away from him. She kicked her in the shin? The shin. That shit hurts, though. It it does, bruh. (laughs) Somebody kicked me in the shin, I'm going to be like, oh. I mean, I'm going down for a second. (laughs) And no man, no man is worth being kicked in the shin. Okay, I don't care if he brings you flowers every day. (laughs) Well, this didn't stop those two from seeing each other. (laughs) She's like, kick me in the shin again. I don't care. I'm still seeing him. I would care. That shit hurts. (laughs) It does. Well, they kept their romantic life secretive and they planned to get married, according to Susan. I have a question. So... Bill was keeping Susan's relationship secret. Was yes. his and Sue's relationship out in the open? Like that 10-year relationship? Nope. Okay, that's a huge red flag, people. Red flag! <laughs> if you're dating someone for 10 years and they don't want anyone to know you're dating them, that's a red flag. Just so you I know. mean, I wouldn't do that. <laughs> yeah, like, no. I let no man is worth it. Why, why are you so ashamed of me? Because you're a douche canoe, that's why. Yeah, because he wants his cake and to eat it too. I bet there was more cake than just Sue and Susan. I'm just saying. There is. So um, they kept their romantic life secretive and planned to get married, him and Susan. Okay. So Susan had actually confided in like a coworker and was telling her, you know, how they loved each other and that they were going to get married. And Bill said that he was going to leave Sue but he needed to kind of push her towards one of his buddies so she wasn't so sad when they broke up. What? Which to me is like really odd. First off, if some guy tells me, if if I find out my guy is cheating on me, let's get there first. If I find out my guy is cheating on me with another girl and then he's like, oh no, I'm going to leave her, I promise. I just got to push him towards my buddy. I'm going to look at him like, what? <laughs> first of all, we should start with, if your guy won't tell anybody that you're dating for 10 years. <laughs> oh, that too. Yeah, that too. <laughs> then he's cheating on you. But then he's like, it's cool. I'm going to break up with her. And I'm going to be like, here, Steve, you, you take this. And, oh, it's okay. I'm breaking up with you. But here, Steve. Like, it's fine. Take Steve. Well, unfortunately, Susan believed him. And so they continued to see each other. Oh, girl. Red flag. <laughs> So investigators would soon find out later that after finding her body that Susan 
had actually tried to cancel her plans to speak at the Parents Without Partners. She was trying to find a replacement to moderate and take over her speech. Okay. So she had told the woman on the phone that she had an appointment scheduled Friday evening, and that may delay her. But unfortunately, it wasn't officially canceled, so they were still expecting her. Oh. I mean, she was still headed that way because she hadn't found a replacement, right? Right. At least that's what I believe she was supposed to be headed that way because she couldn't find a replacement because she had her kids with her too. Right. And after digging into it more, Susan had called the motel in Allentown that she was staying at for the conference and she canceled her plans and told them she couldn't make it until next week. So she actually didn't have a a hotel booked anymore. So then... Exactly. So then you're like, okay, well, she had it out with her kids, right? Right. So she obviously couldn't find a replacement and was going to go to the speech. Well, now she doesn't have anywhere to stay. So what's... Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline real plans this weekend now so july 20th 1979 which was like a month after susan was found a lawyer from philadelphia filed a caveat on behalf of susan's ex-husband ken and her brother patrick so the caveat was filed to hold up like processing any will that susan might have left behind okay which i mean that's smart right because they want to know what's going on And they just, I mean, they just lost somebody important to them, right? So the week after filing it, though, um, news came back from the lawyer to Ken and Patrick that it showed Susan had changed her will. She, in fact, changed her will so recently that it it was crazy what she did. She had taken several extremely high insurance policies out. And guess what? Guess who her beneficiary was? Bill. Fucking Bill. So Bill, who Bill was did it. <laughs> Bill, who was her secret relationship. I got very suspicious of Ken all of a sudden because his kids are missing and he's all like, what's in her will? Nope. So the weird thing is the amount she had put up in her life insurance, along with the amount that she had inherited because her mother died a a few months before she died, Mm -hmm. she was missing $25,000 in cash. So nothing added up, which obviously meant, well, hold up. We're going to hold this will because something's wrong. I had the know she was missing $25,000 in cash. Because the life insurance policies and everything that she had inherited, they had to add it all up when you're doing that, when you're trying to figure out where it all is supposed to go in the end mm-hmm. and 25,000 on the dot was missing she hadn't made any big purchases lately well susan had actually pulled out $25,000 before she died in march of 1979 a few months before she was killed so she pulled out cash and just paid for everything in cash all for expenses 
nope. No. Okay. So she was she was actually really hesitant and appeared under pressure when withdrawing this amount. That's what the manager at the bank told the police. Oh. Say your red flag thing again. Red flag. <laughs> if you work at a bank and somebody's like, let me withdraw $25,000, but they're very hesitant and don't seem like they want to do it. Red, red flag. <laughs> so William Bradfield or Bill, as he liked to be called. Fuck Bill. Sorry. <laughs> he was 46 years old and had been working at the Upper Marion High School since 1963. So roughly eight years before Susan would start. And he was pretty close to J.C. Smith, who was the principal of the high school. Now, Jay is a whole other story, and we will get into that because he is quite the doozy. He's quite the doozy? Quite the doozy. (laughs) Okay. The principal now of the school where children attend. (laughs) Yes. Okay. But Bill was an English teacher, so. Right. Bill had been seeing another Susan for quite some time secretly before Susan Rayner started. Sue. And she was kind of a plain Jane kind of girl too, which was weird because Bill was described as really tall, blue eyes, bearded, like stud muffin to the ladies. So he's the brawny man, the brawny paper towel man. Um, I've seen pictures of him and I don't think that, but that's just me. So when Susan started in 1971, him and her worked side by side in the English department and they got really close. Okay. She started having a secret affair with him and they talked about marriage a lot. Well, before Susan's death, and I mean like practically right before her death, Bill had convinced her to put him as the beneficiary on a $500,000 life insurance policy. What? Did she know that? Did she know that he was dating Sue also before her? She didn't. So she thought she was his one and only. Yes. Okay. Okay. So she took out this life insurance policy at USAA and she had another one taken out with a different bank out of New York for $160,000. Then Susan's mother died a few months prior and had left her $30,000 in cash and $200,000 worth of property. So now this tool bag is the beneficiary for all of this money if she were to die. So Susan, in her will, originally her will had said that everything was going to go to her children. That's what I was wondering. So nothing goes to her kids in this new will? Nothing goes to her kids. Right before her murder, like roughly three and a half weeks before, she Mm-mm. amended the will and put everything to Bill. I don't fucking think so. Bitch, I don't know you. You don't even want to tell <laughs> anybody about me. You're not getting all this shit and my kids get nothing. Fuck you. Well, so now, like, everything she owned, all the life insurance, the inheritance, all of it, would have added close to roughly a million dollars that would oh end God. up going to Bill if she died. Okay. And then she conveniently died three weeks later fucking right (laughs) red flag (laughs) i was about to say it (laughs) bill however had an alibi of course he did so when police questioned him on like all of this Mm -hmm. he had said that he was in cape may new jersey that weekend and he even had two people to say that he was there his buddies 
Well, the two people were Vincent Valetis and Susan Myers. Sue? So both of these, these two lived in his apartment complex. And Sue was in a secret relationship with him. Right. Well, police obviously dug into this. I was going to say, does he not think that the police are going to find out about this secret relationship if they well, look at all? Police, obviously, they're going to find out. So. Right. I mean, they were dating secretly for 10 years. <laughs> yes. Well, police, they obviously dug into this. And because after linking, you know, the will and the insurance information, he was their number one suspect. I mean, he's it, mine right now. It gives him a cause. like Motive. That's the word you're trying to think of? <laughs> yes. They couldn't link him to the Cape May, except for the two people that said that he was there with them either. Right. But after digging into it more, they saw he had traveled out to Santa Fe, New Mexico, because he was taking some kind of like summer classes at St. John's College, and he was flying, and he wasn't the only one. He was going with another person. And guess what day he did this? June 25th. Oh. Which just so happens to be the same day that Susan's body was found. So you weren't in Cape May. Mm -mm. But you were on a plane. So it's super weird, right? How how can they tie him to this now? So police thought they had him here. Mm -hmm. But then they realized there's a second suspect now. A second. Is it the shin kicker? J.C. Smith. So we're going to get into Mr. J. Okay. I was like, I was just blinking. And I was like, who's this? Who's oh, the principal, right? Jay had been the principal at the Upper Marion High School for 12 years. He used to work in the Army Reserves as a colonel. And he was weird. <laughs> I okay. mean, weird. So he would constantly be missing during like school hours. Like staff could never find him. You're the and when he was there, right. And when he was there, he would lock his office door. What why, you do in your office? Why would you lock your office door? You're a principal. Typically, people have to come in and talk to you. Because he doesn't want to deal with their bullshit. It was noted by a couple staff members that after school hours, like after all the kids were gone, let's put that out there. After all the kids were gone. Mm-hmm. He, okay. Um, <laughs> He was found walking around in his underwear a time or two. Wait, I'm sorry, repeat that? (laughs) Yeah, no, you heard me. He was walking around in his underwear a time or two, like at the school. After the kids were gone, but at the school. Did he not have a home that he could go to that in? He did. And this is the crazy (laughs) thing. He was actually married and his wife was like the opposite of him. She was super sweet. She would talk to people very like politely and stuff and then you got this weird ass fucking creeper walking around the school in your underwear Mm -hmm. what the hell so the year before susan was killed smith was resigned to the school's district officer to serve as a special services coordinator so it was believed that he was actually like reassigned for legal issues because august of that year He was arrested in a shopping mall parking lot. He had two guns that were loaded, was wearing a hood, and was trying to break into a vehicle. Okay. They also found a syringe filled with morphine. This this happened when, you said? In August. Oh, shit. (laughs) (laughs) You 
drop me. <laughs> stop me. Oh my god. Okay. Ask me that question again. So this happened when you said August of that year. So that, after um, so a couple months after she was found. No, it was August of the previous year. The year before Susan was killed when he had to be reassigned. It was August of the year he was reassigned. So he this got reassigned to a different school that they weren't at. He got reassigned to the school's district to be the school's district officer to serve as the special services coordinator. So he was no longer allowed to be the principal. He wasn't allowed to be the they principal. They reassigned him because of legal issues instead of just firing him. I, I, so that's why I'm confused. I'm like, why he was trying to break into a car with guns and morphine, but we're going to just give I him a new job? I, I would have just <laughs> fired him, but he told police when they found the syringe or whatever, he had told police it it had to be his daughter and son-in-law because they were heroin addicts. What the fuck? <laughs> Bitch, don't blame your drugs on me. <laughs> obviously, obviously, he was arrested. Uh huh. So police did get a search warrant, and they were like, "Well, we're gonna go check this guy's place out because that's really weird." So police got the search warrant, and they found some more weird stuff. He had three pounds of marijuana. He had a ton of more guns and ammunition, and he had a ton of like prescription drugs that he shouldn't have he also this is this is what's the most disturbing part i really hate even saying this so he also had some disgusting references on bestiality oh my he he was wanting to turn dogs into (gasps) sexual surrogates to help marriages what so they had found out his wife had like cancer this poor woman I'm sure she has no idea what's going on with her crazy ass no, husband. Well, she's going through cancer treatments and, you know, she's really tired and worn down and, and he's not getting his sexual pleasure. So he thinks that dogs should be turned like sexual surrogates to help marriages because Fuck. he, he has sexual needs. You have a hand, sir. <laughs> <laughs> like, what the fuck? <laughs> sorry what (laughs) you can name it (laughs) you can name it fido if you want to oh my god (laughs) that's not all police found police also found a security guard uniform that was connected in an unsolved armed robbery from a bank where a security guard had stole thousands of dollars yeah so during jay's arrest he had contacted Bill and asked him if he would testify on his behalf as a characteristic witness and an alibi for them both. And Bill agreed. He was like, okay, I can do that. Well, now we're going to fast forward because Susan's death happened. And, you know, court dates take a long time. So when you get arrested and you're bonded out, mm-hmm. it's going to take a while before you go to court. So this is all going on and he's still got his job, just waiting to go to trial. Pretty much. Yeah. Not job as a principal. Right. But still, job is a, yes. Th- they're okay with him still being employed there in the school district, right? <laughs> yes. Cool. Cool. So Bill did agree. And when trial did come and he was called to the stand, he was not convincing to the jury He was cold and you could tell he was lying. So Jay was sentenced to five years in prison for armed robbery. 
Okay, because you, you, you attempted that, sir. Right. Right. So three years before Susan, Jay Smith's daughter, Stephanie, who is 24, and her husband, Edward Hunsberger, moved in with Jay. So this is three years before Susan, and they were both addicts. So okay. moving in with him, it was supposed to help get them clean. Okay. Edward was actually on probation for armed robbery oh. and was required to enroll in a drug treatment program for probation. Okay. So he did. But so did Stephanie because Stephanie really wanted to be clean. Okay. So on February 25th, 1978, Edward and Stephanie were leaving to go visit his parents who lived close to Jay. But they never returned. Wait, they disappeared too? They disappeared. So a few weeks later, Edward's parents called Jay to ask if he knew where they were. And Jay told them that they got back into drugs and had huge debt with some drug dealer. And so they just up and fled to California. What? He even told them that they left so quick that they left all their stuff behind. Hmm. Here's what's weird too, though. So a female counselor called Jay to ask where Stephanie was because she was going to drug rehab. Right. She hadn't been there. Because she was trying to get clean and do better. And he told her that they were back on drugs and she found some really good pot and they went off to detox by themselves. She found some really good pot. That's that's what he told the drug counselor. Yeah. The story is full of terrible people, by the way. Like everybody's so bad. (laughs) Terrible. So terrible. So recapping on that, his, his daughter and son-in-law go missing. Yes. Um, they were living with him and their like welfare checks were coming to him, his house. And they were somehow still all, getting cashed. And after then they all went of a sudden, they disappear. But it's weird though, right? Because Jay, you can never find him during school hours. And he always locked his doors. And it's noted by staff members that he had some weird chemical smells that would come from his office sometimes. What? So did he kill them and dispose of them? But where? Where did he kill them? I mean, he's already got this secret life because he's stealing money from banks and mall parking lots. And so it's odd. So now police are very confused because we're going to fast forward to back to Susan's case now, right? So now police are confused. They're like, who the hell did it? This doesn't make sense. (laughs) That's how police investigate cases. They're like, who the (laughs) hell did it? (laughs) (laughs) Who the hell did it? They're like, "Um, we got Bill over here who miraculously is on as a beneficiary for all this money now. Right. And it just happened. And he's had this secret relationship with her that we found out about. That's weird. But when we asked Bill about it, Bill's like, oh, I'm not, I'm not seeing her because it's secret. Yeah. (laughs) And then you got Jay who has already, he's fucked up. (laughs) Oh, fucked up though. I mean, you got Jay who could have possibly killed his own daughter and son-in-law. I'm just picturing with Jay. I'm picturing Walter White. Like he's walking around his underwear. There's chemical smells. Like dude's making meth. (laughs) Dude's making meth. (laughs) Oh my God. 
So now police had Jay behind bars so they could dig into Susan's case more and they didn't feel like they were crunched on time and somebody was going to disappear or whatever. You need someone to dig into where (laughs) these children are. Because we know Bill's not going to disappear because Bill's waiting for his insurance money. Right. Yeah. He's got to get that money before he goes anywhere. Mm Mm-hmm. It wasn't until a former student named Wendy Ziegler came up in the search for answers that would help this case. Okay, Wendy, I see. Wendy had opened a safe deposit box with $25,000 in cash. Well, that just so happened to be the same exact amount that was missing from the caveat that was filed by Susan's ex-husband and brother. Where'd you get that money, Wendy? Well, police questioned her. And they arrested her on charges of theft and receiving stolen property. Oh. And, you know, when you arrest somebody and you're, you've never been arrested before and you know you didn't do anything wrong, she, of course, is quick to tell the police that she's going to testify against Bill. <laughs> she's okay. like, he gave me the money. <laughs> right. She's like, I'll tell you, I'll tell you everything that I know. He gave me the money. I've been secretly seeing him and he, he told me that I could keep this safe, but I also heard him and Jay talking and they were both talking about planning Susan's murder to share the life insurance money. You didn't, you didn't think you should tell somebody about that before Wendy? You don't, you don't think that would have been helpful when she was alive? (laughs) The fuck? They're all terrible people. Bill had secretly been seeing Wendy, which is also gross by the way, because he was 46 years old and she was only 22. That's a big age difference. I mean, it's almost 30 years, right? Yeah. I shouldn't say it's gross. There are people that have big age gaps and stuff. That's fine. But like, I'm just thinking about this gross womanizer. I know he's just gross period. That's what I'm, what I mean by that. Like he's dating all these women and then he, that are like closer to his age too. And then all of a sudden he's like, Oh, here's this 22 year old that used to be a student of mine. Hey, that's, that's what I'm just, also he must be one smooth ass soccer because you, you're a teacher. It's not like you, you're rich. And like, how are you getting all these young people to get into these relationships with you? I don't know. Like, I don't understand. He ain't that good looking. (laughs) I don't understand. Well, he had secretly been seeing her. And so police had enough to prove that Bill and Jay were working together at this point. So on April 6th, police arrested Bill. Okay. He was charged with three counts of murder since Susan's kids weren't found and conspiracy to commit murder. October 28th, 1983 he was convicted on all counts but even so they couldn't figure out how susan was actually murdered because he wasn't in the same town <laughs> i'm sorry i was like because the autopsy technician was terrible like he didn't know if she <laughs> well, was. that's not what i meant i meant like he wasn't in the same town right he how was, he committed the he murder was, he was boarding a plane on the same day she was found and like it wasn't even close to them unless he had somebody do it for him like a hitman like a j hitman well that's what we're gonna get into (laughs) i am so smart guys (laughs) however was still a prisoner and investigators were still working to find out what was going on with him and how he was like intertwined into this case because it's not enough that wendy just says that they talked about it they need proof right So he was in the same town. In fact, 
This was the same day he was in Harrisburg to be sentenced for robbing the mall and having illegal firearms. So it would make a lot of sense that Jake murder her and like, dump her body in the same town he had to be in the next day. Like on his way to trial, he murdered on her? On his way to be tried for the robbing the mall. So Jay would go to trial for the murder of Susan and the jury actually accepted the prosecution's theory that Jay killed her and her children because he was in the same town. Where are the kids, guys? It's also believed that Jay was drug into this crime by Bill because he offered him like half of the money. Right. So it would make sense that he would kill her so that he could get his half of the money. For sure. Yeah. So May of 1980, like prior to Bill's conviction and everything and prior to Jay's conviction, 1980, police were able to get a search warrant for Jay's house. This is the search warrant we talked about. Okay. And they did grab a couple of other things while they were in there. So they got some fibers that were compared on Susan's body to those in Jay's home. And later they would claim that it was a match, but it was like a loosely fit match. It wasn't a definite answer. They looked to be the same type of fibers, same color. Right. Yeah. But they also found a blue comb that matched the same exact kind that Susan had in her car. So like a duplicate of the same type of comb. Well, he worked in the Army Reserves. Right. He had, had his unit number on it. He had access so he to had all the combs two. he wanted. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so in a two-week trial, a jury did decide Jay's fate. It was considered that he was guilty, both now serving life sentences and on death row. So Jay and Bill, both. Both of them. Jay would later be released, though. Why? Because they didn't have actual evidence. It was... He probably appealed the... He appealed it. Jay would later be released due to prosecutorial misconduct. And he he did get released. They didn't have evidence that he killed him. Okay. Jay would later die of a heart condition on May 12, 2009. And Bill actually died in 1998 behind bars as well. So I want to say there's a weird tip after being convicted. So in December of 1982, a tip was given to police that there was a Lincoln Continental that was driven into a deep quarry in Chester County, Pennsylvania, and it had the body of two kids. (gasps) What? That's just a random tip that somebody gave? Yeah. So police took the lead. They took the lead. They're like, okay, well, they did in fact find the vehicle. Mm-hmm. That was described on the phone call, but no bodies were inside. They also found a couple other cars down there. So that was crazy. <laughs> Why would but you say there was bodies if there wasn't bodies? There's There wasn't any. They couldn't find any bodies. Unless so maybe like picking, animals got to him first before the cops maybe, could get who there. Who knows? I don't know. When Bill was taken into custody, it was stated that when playing chess with another inmate, he admitted to his involvement and confessed that he had been present when her and the kids were killed. He said that none of the plan was meant for the children. It's a shame they suffered by mistake. The whole plan was for Susan. 
Okay. And this, this statement was from Proctor Noel and he um, let police know he was like the other inmate. And so it went into public record for police that technically Bill confessed. Right. So first of all, don't kill anybody that's bad, obviously. But if you're like, oh, it's a shame the kids were there. You didn't have to do anything while the kids were there. I know. You, you didn't a- have to do that. It's not a shame. You're just a terrible, terrible monster. He's a shitty person. Right. Well, here's another weird thing that was brought up. So Bill had one single photo in his prison cell that was found after he died in 1998. It was a stone that resembled like a hooded figure. Like it's a big rock and it, and it looks like it's a person that has a hood. It's kind of weird looking. Wait, did Um, you say it was a picture? Yeah. So it's a single photo. Okay. And it's believed this is where the children can be found, but (gasps) nobody, but nobody can find the stone anywhere. What? So, so like tons of tips have come in where it could be located, but it still has never been found. What kind of sick fuck leaves a picture of a stone? There's, there's literally no other where children's bodies are. Picture of a rock. Yeah, there's no explanation of why you would have a picture of a rock. I don't. And nobody can find this rock. Nobody could find it. I'm gonna find this rock. Is there a picture of it online? (laughs) There is a picture of it. We, you can find the picture. We'll, we'll post it in the Instagram. Yeah, okay. Everybody but. find this rock. Cause we need answers. So yeah, that is the crazy, ridiculously twisty case. That's, that's of so Susan Rayner. Wild. And everybody in the story are, is terrible people. The I only know, ones that I aren't think- terrible are poor Jay's wife, the poor kids, and Ken was okay. Like nothing bad. Yeah. I, I kept being suspicious of him fr- and, because and I'm her- a bad person. I kept, uh, obviously I'm at first, I'm like the husband did it. And then she dies and he's looking into her will. And I'm like, oh, he's looking into her will. The husband did it. But no, he was okay. I'm sorry, Ken. I apologize. <laughs> I jumped to conclusions. Also, Susan wasn't a bad person. She just shouldn't have had an affair. Right. I mean, that's, that doesn't make you a bad person, but it's not great decision-making so well no but i mean everybody makes mistakes everybody makes, in their life everybody makes poor decisions at and some point just, or another unfortunately it was just a it, it, it ended her life like, yeah that was yeah he's such a fucking douche tool canoe bag lump yeah, i don't know yeah. okay so that's the case that is the case okay Very i had not heard just, that one i mean yeah 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 <laughs> So let's... Okay, well, that's cool. Follow the stuff. <laughs> oh, so awkward still. It's fine. Everything's fine. Okay. Well, that is it on that. Follow our stuff. Zeroholicsisters.com. All the facey space Gmail info is on there. All that good junk. And hopefully... And send in your requests. Yeah, yeah. Send some requests. We got... um. We love getting requests. We've had, we've had several come in and we've done like a lot of their cases but send in more we like yeah, them. we like them all right wanna be yuckered let's be awkward <laughs> okay bye, okay, bye.